Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's February 8th, 1950. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. The card itself was made of cardboard and it had three signatories. Perhaps not the debonair image that Diners Club went on to cultivate. Uh, But nonetheless, the company made history on this day in 1950 when it enacted the world's first credit card transaction at Major's Cabin Grill in New York City, which offered fine food in a friendly atmosphere and charcoal broiled specialities. (laughs) And it's really crazy to think about now, isn't it? The idea of presenting a cardboard card and saying, stick it on my diner's card. (laughs) And everyone else being like, okay, we'll do that. It's a reminder, though, that, of course, this is, you know, these days we need plastic cards because we use them for chip and pin and all this kind of thing. But there's no reason, in theory, that a card couldn't be made of cardboard, except, I suppose, if it got wet. Yeah, it's like, theoretically, a cheque doesn't have to be cheque size, Mm. does it? It doesn't have to be printed on your bank's notepaper. You could just write down your account number and sort to present that to someone with a signature on it and that could work as a check. Does that mean those novelty checks that you win when you win the lottery are actually legal yeah. tender? You can, they are, yeah, are you they? can cash them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no bank would accept them, but theoretically. <laughs> so the story is that, at least with this transaction, a good year beforehand in 1949, a business person called Frank X. McNamara, I don't know what his middle name was. Xylophone. It's Xavier. Okay, good. I'll tell you, Francis Xavier is like Catholic thing. Okay, right. Do you know where I learned that from, guys? Hill Street Blues. <laughs> <laughs> Two references to Hill Street Blues in as many weeks. The gauntlet for 2022 has been set. <laughs> so the story is that McNamara had forgotten his wallet while he was dining out at this very restaurant a year earlier. And he had changed his suit before heading out. And then only when he was sitting down to have his meal did he realise that embarrassingly he didn't have any money with him. And he had to get his wife to come and rescue him. And she came and apparently paid the tab. But he resolved that this exact problem would never happen to him again, at least if you believe the story that we're told. And that's where he came up with the idea of the diner's club card. Now, Arian, are you ready for me to pull the tablecloth out from under your story? Whoa. <laughs> because one of the founding members of the diner's club, a PR man named Matty Simmons, would go on to tell the Christian mm. Science Monitor as recently as 2017 that he made that whole story up. Okay. Which makes sense, because think about it, because how would having a credit card have helped him in that situation? Because a credit card would have been with his wallet in the other suit. That is true. Well, he could put the credit card in one suit and the cash in the other. (laughs) (laughs) Could turn his wife into an enormous magnetic strip. (laughs) Well, also, it just so happens that, you know, according to this folklorish story, which is still on the Diners Club website, his dining companions were... Alfred Bloomingdale, Mm -hmm. as in grandson of the founder of Bloomingdale's, and Ralph Snyder, who was his attorney, who then went on to co-found the company with him. So that's a bit fortuitous, isn't it? And they just happened to be in the restaurant that then would be the first one to accept (laughs) their club card. 
But anyway, however the idea came about, I think we can all agree it was a very good idea. Not just because credit cards are still with us, obviously, and nowadays more than three quarters of US consumers have a credit or charge card and probably more than one. But because the idea of starting with restaurants was so savvy, it seems to me. Because mm. like, trying to establish a network of credit card machines and infrastructure and places where you can spend it is so daunting as to almost be impossible. But starting an elite club, only for the people who can afford to go to the best restaurants in New York, you're making a virtue out of the necessity that you can't go around convincing thousands of businesses to join up, so you're pretending it's an elite club. And the people who are going to get the card are people who can afford to dine in a posh restaurant. So They're good for it. Trying to start a scheme like this with multiple retailers probably wouldn't have worked at the time because there was no incentive really for them to participate. In fact, the way that Diners Club originally made money was by charging a merchant fee. So the restaurants themselves would pay 7% of the fee. Quite steep. But the way that they convinced restaurants to participate was the idea that the card would be very appealing to, say, a successful businessman who goes out on lots of business lunches and that the money they spend would be far more than the average customer. So it would be worth paying that 7% fee. Which is basically still the shtick that American Express give to their merchants, isn't it? They expanded enormously rapidly. They had 42,000 cardholders by the end of their first year. But they were losing money. You know, they, they, there was a means for them to bring money in. But even by the end of that first year, they were still hemorrhaging cash. And it was at that point, again, if you believe Matty Simmons, that he piped up and said, you know what we should do? We should charge people who have the card a very small sum, $3 each to have the Diners Club card. And he said, I know that it's going to mean that we lose about 50% of our card holders, but it will put us into profit. Sure enough, again, if you believe him, that's exactly what they did. And that's what happened. They lost a lot of members, but they instantly became profitable. So got around that problem that they were suffering with. And if you're thinking, well, what about the interest? You know, when people don't pay off their card in full each month, why wouldn't they make profit from the interest like credit card companies do now? The answer to that was Diners Club wasn't really a credit card Mm. as we know it now. It's what we would now call a charge card. Mm -hmm. There was no option to pay interest. That came later when the credit card really took off in the 1960s. Yeah, but as early as 1958, it was already seen as being extremely aspirational, as you touched on, Ali, because, again, it was associated with this high life of sticking your lunches and cocktails on the expenses at your office and that kind of thing. You know, as early as 1958, Time magazine wrote, credit, which was once the sign that a person had trouble meeting his bills, has taken on a glamorous new meaning in recent years. Now a man with a credit card can rent a plane or boat or car, live it up in nightclubs, take a safari to Africa and even get a Kelly girl, which is a temping agency for temporary office help why because of the credit card game it's interesting that the example is a man there i mean obviously (laughs) most business people in new york were men but also most people who got credit cards were men and for many decades this was an issue that women would be more likely to be refused credit cards because they were housewives. Until 1974, when the US passed the Equal Credit Opportunity Act, it was completely legal in the US for banks to have a policy of refusing credit cards to women unless they had a male co-signee. Like, for instance, your husband or perhaps father or brother, if they couldn't sign for you, then you could be denied credit until then. I, I looked into this in the UK, and apparently that was never a policy in Britain, although it was very common for women to be refused loans without a male co-signer. It wasn't until the 50s and 60s after this moment with Diners Club, though, that the real innovation started to happen. In 1961, Diners Club introduced plastic charge cards to replace the cardboard ones (laughs) that they'd been using. There were around a million of them by then. In people's soggy 
wet suits. <laughs> like, you know when you've got like an important document on your kitchen table and it gets covered in soup? That must be what everyone's diner's club card looked yeah. like, must <laughs> The other funny thing is that there was some sense that this could spell the end of cash money. And that's been something that we've been talking about in the last couple of decades. The idea that you might just travel around with your cards only and not have cash in your pocket. But there was this uh, film in 1963, The Man from the Diner's Club, which was meant to be uh, a comedy. They would really release any old Oh, man. Well, basically, uh, this guy from Diners Club approves the card that this clerk is issued and he has to go and try and get the card back. And it's billed as the wildest comedy since money went out of style. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. In the early 60s, already people were thinking this could be the end Mm. of people carrying cash. Well, Arian, it's interesting you say that because the very phrase credit card itself has its origins in something extremely similar, which is it was coined in an 1887 novel by Edward Bellamy called Looking Backward. It's forgotten now, but at the time was a massive bestseller on the level of Ben-Hur. And it was set in a utopian future USA in the year 2000. Ooh, future. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to take that. This is low-hanging fruit. I won't even bother making the joke. But in this version of America in the year 2000. It's become an advanced socialist society (laughs) and one where citizens use credit cards to spend what is basically what we would call UBI, a state-issued allowance that everyone gets every month to spend on whatever they want. And it's kind of, it's ironic, I suppose, isn't it, that the origin of the term credit card, which has become associated with so many people with, you know, the chains of misery and debt, was actually (laughs) coined to describe a utopian future where the government were giving Mm. citizens money to live. One of the things that they had in the beginning of their heyday was a board game, (laughs) the Diners Club credit card board game. And I mean, Monopoly is a better one-word title, isn't it? Snappier. (laughs) It looks so boring. (laughs) To win this game, you had to have $5,000 of investments, own a car and a house, and also have paid Diners Club at least (laughs) (laughs) $5,000. I love how they built that into their game. That's amazing. (laughs) Could you go to Major's Cabin Grill in New York City? Was that one of the boxes on the board? (laughs) And if so, what could you order? Yeah. (laughs) What a great way to teach your young children how to entertain clients. (laughs) Tomorrow. Gareth turns to Will and says, if there's one person who deserves it, it's you, Will. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit